buttoned that up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell. Big stretcher. Let's do it. I just had cortisol straight through my fucking brain. It's all right. No. <laughs> so, hey, uh, welcome to the ISS podcast, Harry. Uh, you've got a story that needs to be told, uh, and it is a. I've been listening to your book, mate. Uh, I normally, uh, normally, I can put audio books on in the background and work, but I'm I, I couldn't. The eleven bads. I have to sit and actually Thanks, listen mate. to it, mate. So, uh, and a lot of the guys have been. Uh, reading it watching it and then so you have to fucking watch this book mate read it look at it just get it in your head so um i appreciate it i've had some sleepless nights i can tell you putting it out and particularly in the current uh, environment um i couldn't have picked it worse really <laughs> what is it like i mean before we get into the book i suppose i want to get talk about your story and introduce you to the guests um, you could probably do a 12-part miniseries on Harry Moffat and the life you've had. So, I think I tell a story that will resonate with a lot of my peers and colleagues. You know, they've spent a long time away and done all of the, all of the things and had the experiences that I've had um, and uh, some of the great men and women I've shared that with over, over the time. So I look, you know, if it's an insight that, um, that uh, resonates across, you know, all of those people, then that's great. Um, but look, I, I get that it's intriguing and of interest, but it's, there are a lot of people who've, who, who've traveled the same journey. Uh, and, and, and it's going to be a, a story that is, is worth listening to as well. Like, um, but because you're, so who is Harry Moffat? And and why do we want you on the podcast? That's the that's the question. Well, mate. <laughs> I can hear my wife saying, "Harry Moffat's a dickhead," but uh, <laughs> no, look, mate, I, I had it's unremarkable, uh, really, uh, upbringing. Um, you know, middle lower class family didn't really know whether we were poor or rich, didn't really care. Uh, in loved school, probably more sport and hanging out with everyone. I grew up in Melbourne, um, proud Victorian. And uh, my old man was in the Navy, mum was a nurse, so grew up around a life of service. Uh, so I guess I was kind of destined. And yeah, unremarkable, really warm, loving childhood, you know, pretty, pretty boring and uh, uh, probably punctuated by sport and later on girls and, and a few beers here and there. So, and it really wasn't, you know, I suppose the journey the question you're asking is that, you know, where, where does the SAS or the special ops or military thing come from? And in, in 1980, uh, way before you guys were born, probably the 22 SAS, the British SAS, uh, were called in to resolve an Iranian uh, embassy hostage siege in, in London. And back then we had a, a, a black and white telly or sit on the box, packing box in the corner of the room. And these black clad gas mask uh, individuals burst onto the screen, blowing things up and roping off the roof and smashing through windows. And, and, and it was same was on the front page of the newspaper. And that was the origin point for me. I saw this up until then. I wanted to scream out a full forward for Hawthorne and, and, uh, and play AFL or, or open the batting for, for Australia. But once I saw that, I was just welded onto my brain and I, I don't know that I had a sense that I want that was all I was going to do, but certainly it was at loom large, and I had a had a, a feeling. So, you know, that set about a chain of events that um, that uh, led me to the military, and and then attempting uh, 
SAS selection. That, that's kind of the background, I guess. And, and uh, I, I always say when I'm talking about that part of my life, and, and I, I imagine a lot of us have this experience, it, it turned me to a few things. One, to physical, my physical self. I really started to tune in and say, okay, what's going on and what physical preparation do I need to do at 15 and 16? And, and I guess a lot of my peers around me at school weren't turning their minds to, you know, what, what, what it means to be a physical and a psychological person um, or, or have that, that, that part of you or understand that part of you. And the other thing it did for me, it sent me, it, it, it kind of uh, it inspired me to read. I started reading books on special forces and the military and history and David Sterling and the commandos in, in uh, World War II, the independent companies and infantry. I became absolutely um, you know, fascinated with infantry, all things Australian infantry, and that was that was it. I suppose that's the that's the background, uh, Anthony, and, and um, unremarkable, really, because I'm sure it resonates with a lot of people. On that, just quickly, like it, it does resonate with a lot of people. Did you find that a lot of the guys that, that were in Perth with you when you're in the regiment had the same kind of motivation, the same driver to get there to begin with? Yeah, yeah, some of them do. Uh, it was uh, pretty uh, depending. You know, might might not have been twenty two SAS, but it might have been uh, the Phantoms of the Jungle in Australia, or um, you know, World War One and World War Two. Um, very big infantry and frontline kind of influence. Um, I've, I've spoken to other guys who who just kind of meandered into it. They said, "Oh, I didn't know what else to do. Just kind of wandering around, doing nothing, making a nuisance of myself, drinking too much, or whatever. You know, dropping out of school and." And the military resonated with them because I think that the call to discipline, it kind of gives you a structure and it's a brilliant structure. I, I love it. I'd do it all again and I'd encourage anyone if they're uh, if they are a bit lost in a bit of a liminal space in life when they're young to, to go and spend a few years. It gives you so many great skills. But, um, yeah, they're all varied, I think. Um, one thing I loved about the regiment, even back then, when it was heavily, um, you know, infantry and army um, focused, we got a lot broader um a lot broader kind of net is cast these days for for backgrounds but uh the, you know it, it was a very uh, eclectic bunch of of individuals they were kind of all a bit weird and strange in in our own way so i, I really like that because up until then i knew i was a bit weird and strange and then <laughs> it was nice to find some common folk because they say um that you have to have a perfectionist uh uh psychological mindset is as one of the key uh, markers for a SAS soldier is, is that you've got, you know, an expedient personalities and you have perfectionist personalities. Uh, and they say that, well, I mean, that's what the psych told me when she was trying to stop me when I was trying to go for selection. So you've got an expedient personality, you're not, I'm like, well, I did it last year and they fucking make it. So let me go this year. So, but yeah. I is, think, is, um, is, is that where it comes from? The, that, that very, because it used to be um, in Vietnam and stuff. It was very, ordinary sort of individuals and you were nominated from your unit to go, weren't you, as opposed to? I think so, yeah. I think there was uh, a more ad hoc or organic approach to it. Um, and, yes, I, I, you know, when you think about the uh, 22 SAS back in North Africa, they, they, they were the kind of trash, you know, the guys that couldn't be – they were just expedient – individuals that I guess at that time the military said, well, what else do we do with these rat bags? Uh, let's send them off because the SAS were a complete disaster to start with. They, they lost more blokes than they, than they, uh, than they recruited and uh, they were bloody beer swilling, 
you know, thieves and, and uh, renegades. And so, look, I, th I think what, uh, to go to your point, Anthony, I think it, it's, it's, a, it's a valid point. And I would take it a step further and say that uh, super intrinsically driven. And uh, I, I still feel that today. And it it's, it's actually goes to one of the challenges, we, great challenges I had at the end of my time in the regiment when we were rebuilding the, the human performance program and uh, trying to understand a bit more about how we can um, prepare, maintain, and transition the operators better, you're you're not you're in no danger of um, uh, motivating the train to uh, work psychologically and mentally, uh, to work on their social skills, leadership skills, on their planning. And so, I mean, the problem is holding them back from that, and actually telling them settle down, bugger off, go and join a football club or crochet, whatever you want to do, uh, uh, have an outside, go and lay down for a day, you know, go and do nothing. Uh, and so uh, you, you're right, that, that, that intrinsic competitiveness um, is, is a virtue, but I think I came to the realisation, and I, and I believe this now, um, with the new guys coming through, we need to train them just to chill out. Um, you guys know as well as anyone, I, I, I've been reading uh, off the website and some of your posts and whatnot, and, and a lot of what you talk about goes to this this remaining switched on, you know, this hypervigilance where, and, and there's the little bits of, you, you feel shame if you don't feel like that. You know, you feel lazy and you feel, and you've just got to work hard to get over that. And I think that's something we could probably do further upstream with all military servers is, you know, just tune out, uh, switch off. And uh, it's hard, but practice, we perfect what we practice, you know. Was there much um, resistance? Because you were, you were one of the key figures in establishing, like you spoke about, the Human Performance Centre over in Perth. Was there much resistance to doing or was, it, was there a need, people saw a need, like we need to... Oh no, there was huge resistance. And uh, I, became, I was a bit of a pariah. There was a few of us around at the time uh, mate, the last thing a, a, a burly big fella wants to hear is that he's training wrong um, or that the push-ups and chin-ups he's been doing forever um, were bad for his shoulders and uh, and neck and uh, or telling someone that you need to train every other day, not every day, uh, because there's this thing called recovery that we haven't kind of worked out yet. And um, so it was, re it was really quite difficult. And I, I think I overreached initially because we i wanted to introduce you know the, the biopsychosocial model of performance as i call it or, or health you know, i wanted to kind of hit all of those those pillars at the same time and also brought in a in a in a kind of philosophical pillar too i think that's been lost in soldiering how how to think and why because killing and, and combat is just such a profoundly uh you know messy and 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 uh, um you know confusing and and morally challenging but it's also a hugely philosophical or, or um cognitive thing you know it's 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 very hard to kind of pin down and uh, so you know that was the fourth pillar we introduced and i think it was just maybe a bit too much you know we had sleeping room napping stations going we had monitors on guys tracking sleep uh you know this is you know, this is uh, a ten, well, nearly ten years ago now. Uh, we were challenging the way we were doing selection. Um, we were we were um, trying to change. You know, there was a couple of guys who were trying to change the way instructors spoke and the way we selected. So we we were kind of challenging a bit of the the trend, um, the, the, the traditions and norms. So there was a bit of resistance, but 
Uh, Danny Cooper, who was, I spoke to him last week. Um, he does, we do a little bit of work on the side together. Uh, he probably had the biggest success uh, because he was in the gym and that's where you really make uh, make friends and influence people, I think, in those populations, as you as you well know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that, that, that's it's great cross-over in everything you're saying there and what we're trying to do with, with a regular Army general like, population veteran. Um, and, and we found like a lot of what we don't want to be caught up in, in people thinking we're just a fitness organisation, but unfortunately you've got to meet the market halfway and, and everybody that wants to change their life, be it mental or, or physical health, always start in the gym, so that's where you've got to go. Yep. Going, going back to the, the headspace and the mindset stuff, like we've thrown these ideas around in the past going that the current model, Western militaries base their model on the American cowboy, and that is chew bubble gun, no fuck with us, but the biggest, baddest dude on the planet where the cowboy never has, nowhere in the cowboy model is there an off switch or a, or a downtime rest, relax. Whereas the Eastern model of like the, the samurai, the, the ninja is very much, I am at peace always until I have to kill you. Um, is that is that something you think will ever be taken on board by Western Army? Uh I'd like to think so. I think we've got a lot to learn from Eastern philosophies and others, um, kind of, you know, natural and native philosophies. A lot of the original thinkers, you know, were founded in a lot of that Eastern um, methodologies or philosophical kind of approaches and, and schools. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. The, it's currently... I think that's the biggest challenge is not only um, finding something that, uh, soldiers, sailors, air men and women um, can gravitate to, uh, uh, and you know, is is mindfulness and meditation. It's kind of you know, it, it hits some somewhat hits the mark for most people. But there's certainly a challenge there to find find something um, that uh, people can um, grasp onto and, and use as a downtime. So it's it's simply a, a matter of powering down regularly. And and what is powering down? It just means that if you're at a high vigilance or high uh, activity, uh, high uh, stress all the time, or high arousal all the time, you know, as, as you know, you've already hit on it, Anthony, you mentioned it, I think, um, you know, your, your brain and your your, your, your uh, is swimming in, in in cortisol and epinephrine and, and or adrenaline those types of uh, and they're motivating we call them bad st or stress hormones but they're not they're, they're they're motivating hormones and what they do is they get us out of bed every morning they drive us forward towards goals that's why goal setting is so important because you've got something to aim for and every time you think of aiming for something you're kind of promoting those chemicals and hormones that drive you forward to to action and they, they're very good, obviously, in fright or flight. Everybody's really familiar with that now. But the problem is, is they're only made for short duration, and so they need to be reset. And when you power down, your body hopefully uh, releases the buffering um, hormones and chemicals, which we too often regard as good stress, uh, good hormones. And it's the, the language is wrong, good and bad, because they're not good or bad. They just your body just blindly does what it, well, not blindly, just does what it does. And uh, so that powering down is um, is. Yeah, I personally, I'm, I'm a sauna guy. I, I'm still kind of going 100 miles an hour, and I'm but I'm much better than I used to be. Um, and I, I use things like sauna. You know, um, I, I train, uh, but I almost train to recover, not recover to train. And I, that's probably one thing I wish I had have done earlier in my career. 
and and also nap. Like I started napping uh, maybe around the time we set up the performance program, I, I was doing some research on it and uh, I, I find that just resets everything. It feels so good after that or it keeps the anxiety or the, the, the um, you know, this drive forward uh, at bay a little. So it's a conversation that I find myself having more and more. I work with a special ops group here in, in Melbourne, the Coppers, and, um, you know, they're doing some great things there and it's a really handy conversation to put it in those I think to put them in put it in that, that context. Yeah, well, they're starting to do that um, <clears throat> in the combat shooting stuff. They're teaching in in infantry regular infantry units. They they're adding the sleep when um, into the actual range days. Everyone lunch just after lunch, go and sleep, go and have a nap, which is yep. opposite to what we used to get. Like, do not fucking lay down, do not <laughs> sleep. You know, <laughs> and now they're making people lie down and sleep in these old. You see some of the old RSMs; they are fucking having kittens about it. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, that, and well, look, this is this is it, isn't it? You know that that is spot on. The the, the old guard, the, the and and look, bless their hearts because they're probably doing it better than um, you know they probably used to get punched in the head. You know, if you didn't, uh, I, I remember I did my CQB course, and I, I won't name the guy because he was a bit of a dickhead on the CQB course. We we're, we're not we're mates now, but he was screaming. You know, if you can't get twenty and ten. Uh, on this round, then you're going to be doing chin ups until you pass. And you like, you know, when you put your arms up, you're shaking from the chin ups. I've only got some small caliber. And he's got a, uh, you know, so how do you pass? And so the mentality was, I guess when I grew up playing footy too, you know, you've got a torn hammy, run it out. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, and it's, no, it's, <laughs> hey? Chug it off. Yeah. Chug it off. So, you know, and look, it goes to a question that, you know, what are we doing now that is the equivalent? Um, what, what am I saying now that in 10 years' time will be completely redundant and I'll say, who was that Moffat Blake? It's kind of – the guy who inspired me was a guy by the name of Percy Serity. He invented the old Stoughton philosophy, and there's a book called Why Die, and I, I bloody rate it. It's a, it's a bit of a – I don't know, it's a bit of an, a, a, a kind of bio, biography book, but he – He's one of the few people that was like decades before his time. You know, he was he was uh, espousing um, uh, espousing eating well. You know, eating vegetables and eating salads, and when they were drinking beer and and bananas, uh, he was espousing weights for athletes uh, before it was uh, before it was a thing. Um, you know, philosophy, reading. You know, who would have thought? You know, athletes should read. They, you know, it brings uh, structure to their thinking. And you know, this was all. He was a complete uh, pariah in that in those days. So, I always try and cut myself. You know, try and uh, remind myself that maybe some of the things we're promoting today will become redundant. So you've got to keep that open mind and that lifelong learning all the time and continually learn and evolve. That's the that's what I'm. We're also worried about here, like. So we're like, oh, we're the contemporary veteran. Some people don't like it or the young veteran, whatever. Um, what happens in 10 years' time when what we're preaching and they're like, no, you guys are already fucking 40s. Keegan's going to be the next, you know, head of the – what happens then? They're like, what the fuck were they talking about? And then You, got, you guys will live forever. Don't worry about that. <laughs> because they've got – You've got to keep that message up because I think – uh, that that open mindedness and and that that search for learning that is what I'm talking about with the philosophical part of human performance, as I like to say. And I know that that, that you know some people don't kind of that doesn't resonate with people, but 
that that's what it is. It's the it's it's the eternal search for wisdom, and and it might sound fluffy, but it's just fucking true. And I think if you don't pursue that and and uh, look to for further learning and 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 um, expand and work on your philosophical self, you end up like that RSM telling blokes to you know stand up on gun pickets or what? Yeah, I would not go on gun pickets on range days, etc. You know. Yeah, because I mean, if you go from the royalty back in fucking the middle ages they were dying of gout because of like you eat meat and you drink and that's that's fine that's healthy and then the, the royalty is dying in the droves from gout and fucking malnutrition and but yeah i think that constant drive uh to move forward and find new information is so important and something that i think i think the younger boys are, are starting to see that as well like they're always learning and trying to read you know I agree. Yeah, I agree. And you and and if I can, you know, clumsily say your generation that are coming through now, um, I reckon smarter on chance, smarter than the, than some of the instructors in that regard. And um, you know, and I, I think that's brilliant. And uh, you, the next, you know, it's it's difficult for them to kind of pipe up in some pipe up in those situations. But that's where we we've got to put a lot more work, I guess, into the instructors and and the old guard and keep just keep working. You know. Yeah, the um, instructor credibility is something that that's always getting the right people uh, in the right places. I mean, obviously, the SAS is something that is is held in absolute. I mean, that's the pinnacle of an army career is is the young boys in the battalions, because they get into the army and they're like, "This is kind of not what I thought it was." Uh, what's the next step? How do I actually be a soldier? They they see the SAS as actual soldiering. If you want to go and actually soldier now, that's where you have to go. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, and it's a, it's a pity because we missed the boat at the start of uh, Afghan two, which I call, which was two thousand five, by not sending in a battalion or two um, onto the ground before anyone else came, uh, and and we, with or just after us, I think, and I think that would have been um, a much better. Uh, decision. I don't think anyone would disagree with that because it was at the time we were going, what the fuck were they sending me? You know, and, and it kind of set the tone that the strategy became more about doing what we thought we needed to do to be seen to be doing something rather than reacting to the strategic situation or the tactical situation on the ground, which was get out there, seize the ground, hold it, start the hearts and minds stuff that Australian infantry are absolutely renowned for alongside in parallel with their fighting ability uh but we just somehow i don't know was it the was it risk averse were they because i mean we you always hear stories where they're like what what is the lowest threshold for risk how about we let's get the sas to do it all because they're the highest trained they're not going to die as opposed to sending 17 year old bob in and i think there's a you know there's a danger of looking at it that you know too simplistically like i think that's part of it definitely or not definitely i i I suspect that's part of it um you know a couple of sas guys die oh yeah fair enough that's just what they do uh a couple of young infantry i you know i find it i probably find it hard to imagine um the the that discussion Mm, don't know but I, i i i my thoughts on it are is that we were uh, our hierarchy was probably quite inexperienced in a way too, and 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 the advice around um, that was you know in and around the government at that stage may have been I don't know less less than um, you know inspired. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to know because you, you, 
you know, Taron Cout was was supposed to be, my understanding was, you know, supposed to be a nice, quiet place for Australia to go and park. And, you know, it was the crossroads of the Taliban highway. And um, sure, there wasn't any fighting going on there, but there was hundreds of fighters passing through there all the time. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's just difficult. I, 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 I think right now, you know, particularly with everything going on with the report being released, probably not the time to be unpacking and unpicking everything i think there's a lot of emotion around at the moment a lot of anger and shame and and uh, a lot of uh you know frustration and and um and uh you know all this high charged emotion i i you know maybe i'll I'll, i'm gonna wait for christmas to pass have a bit of time downtime and then i think some measured heads and we can we can pick it apart but i think we need to be constructive and sometimes it feels a little as if we're looking for blame and we're looking for 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 places and people to be outraged at, and I, I've never been convinced that that's the best way forward. Uh, and, and I think um, we we've just got to learn, um, yeah, and, and learn some lessons and, and move on. So, because um, I mean, you see it all in the news at the moment, and I'm getting sick of hearing opinions from people who weren't in the regiment that aren't named in the report. They just jump on as a mouthpiece to grandstand their own career. And I'm actually interested to to hear the perspective of an actual SAS soldier from the regiment, from the time period, and what that that, the Berridan report and what it actually means to you and what's your take on it? Yeah. Devastating. One word, you know, this whole episode, the whole period, it's it's devastating. And this is this is completely suspending any guilt, blame, uh, allegations, right or wrong. I, I think that part gives me the shits a bit because uh, I feel like everyone and everything are being tried in the press and in um, you know, in on social media at the moment. I think that's rubbish. I think the media should have its time. There's you know, as much as it pisses me off. Uh, to hear the ill-informed journalists and others talking, although some of it's uh, are quite quite uh, you know um, accurate, uh, but I've I've always thought a free press is uh, important, and it's one of the uh, things we fight for, or it represents one of the things I, I've I certainly served and fought for. But you know, I would have thought now. Yeah, it's been devastating for for the unit and for the SOCOM community and for the ADF. Um, I hope it's not catastrophic. I trust it won't be because I think there's just such a fantastic body of work from the unit and SOCOM that um, hopefully uh, holds the brand up and holds the reputation up through all of this. And I, I think it will. I think we'll we'll survive. Um, and uh, but as long as everybody who is involved gets there opportunity to represent themselves appropriately and I mean on all sides uh, as long as um, they get uh, to that that opportunity um, yeah I'd, I'd kind of take pause and remind everyone that um, you know the units are bloody amazing place you know it's a bit crazy and uh, it runs at a gazillion miles an hour but the the, the it's full of chock full of brilliant men and women um, from our ADF and the ADF is full of chock full of brilliant men and women, you know, some of the pound for pound, the best army on the planet, but, or best military on the planet. 
Um, but inside the regiment, you know, I'm really proud of the unit all through this time's continue to give service overseas. We've been fighting ISIS, not to mention in Afghanistan, not to mention in, uh, in, in, in Africa and all other places, you know, representing Australia. And I, I'm really proud and the work, the, the brilliant, the brilliant work the unit's been doing globally. So I just hope we don't, um, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater to use a pretty average cliche. Um, you know, and the other thing I'd say is I reckon that, I, this will sound a little bit kind of all about us, but um, it's probably one of the hardest working organisations in Australia. I, I, you know, the breaknet speed and volume of work that we've been sustained for the last 20 years, the Brereton Report means, unfortunately, that we're going to have to work even harder for the next 10 or 20 years, however long it's going to take to earn back the trust and the confidence of the Australian, um, the Australian people. You know, that is, I think... Um, that uh, that that's just a fact. So we'll 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 see, mate. With time, I think what I do think, going back to your point about the social media and, and a lot of people who are who are venting, I would say because it's all quite angry. Uh, the, the the commentary. Um, I, I would have thought, and I'm certainly, I've you know just releasing the fucking book at the worst possible time. We, we've made a conscious decision to stop the press on the book. I, I kind of feel right now. That as a community we should be uh, we should be um, some uh, partaking of some silent contemplation, some 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 reflection as a as a community, and just pondering for all for a period how the fuck we got here, regardless of any guilt or if anyone's not guilty or guilty that that will come, but we're we're here and it's a grave matter and I would like to think that we can just take a bit of time. The time for medals, talk of medals, although I think medals are probably part of the incentivising of, you know, of some of some of the alleged behaviours or, or other behaviour in the military we've, we've all seen, you know, people, um, the medals thing kind of drives behaviours. But there'll, there'll be a time for chat about medals, a time for chat about squadrons, and there'll be a time for chat about blame and leadership and, you know, political strategies. But I think the time now is just for a bit of silent reflection that's that's the way i feel anyway and, and we'll we'll there'll be a time for cricket too so we'll uh, we'll, we'll uh, that's uh, certainly been a, a healing process or or something that's can, can bring some healing start the healing process yeah i'll be interested to see it's like a spirit obviously you know i i can't and we don't speak i mean we we've been attacked individually attacked like why hasn't swiss eight spoken up about this, like, well, we're not SAS uh, and we're a mental, a proactive mental health charity, not a fucking political narrative arm, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that's why no, getting... Really like that. and, and to be honest, no, there's been very, very little chat. I'm probably, this is probably the most vocal you'll hear from um, guys in the regiment or from the regiment. There's been a couple of follow-ups on LinkedIn and they've been quite civil, but there's been no one from inside the unit um, that I'm aware of anyway. I, there might be something, but um, I think um, I think the unit realises that we just need to, you know, just take a pause and have a, have a reflect before we, uh, before we, there's anything. And, and to be honest, there's nothing to do except crack on, keep doing the brilliant work the unit's been doing, um, make some changes if, if required and, 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 yeah, and crack on. We've got, there's nothing else to do. Do good work. Mate. I absolutely hats off to you, and it feels like from the way it's been handled in the media that, that that is the consensus from the boys in Perth is to just keep your head down, pause for a minute, have a think about it. Don't because there's there's two ways to approach any kind of problem these days with with social media, and that is 
someone says something bad about you, you straight you take the bait, you go straight into a troll arguing match, you blow it out of proportion, and it's not there's nothing gets resolved. It's just media hype. And that is the way that some people handle it. And then there's the way where, I mean, in a nutshell, without trying to summarise everything you just said, it resonated a lot with him. The way your attitude is, take a pause, think about what we're doing. And then when we come back, let's focus on all the positives. Instead of trying to fight the one negative, focus on the hundreds of positives. And let's, that for me, in a nutshell, is what the, the veteran space needs at the moment. Um, whether it's the, this inquiry or whether it's a suicide crisis or, or all, at the moment, everyone's answer is, whatever my problems are, it's the fucking government. Let's blame them and let's get on TV and blow up and it's all DVA. Instead of going, hang on a minute, there's a lot of positives in the veteran space. There's a lot of, when you leave the military, there's a massive amount of positives that come out of it. There's a lot of successful people. Let's focus on them instead of all the negatives. From them. I think that's the way forward. Yeah, 100%. I think that's really what brought us here today, uh, having this podcast, because... I think we are 100% aligned on the broken veteran narrative being now, well, not now, always, but uh, it, it's that supporting that narrative is um, detrimental to the veterans coming through. I, and I think that uh, um, I, I'd like to see more stories. You know, the journalists are probably not going to tell too many. They want speculation and hyperbole, but... Um, I'd like to see, Adrian, to go to your point, I, I'd, I'd really like to see a lot more emphasis on, on the good stuff. You know, 90% of veterans go on to have um, uh, normal careers. You know, they, they go normal lives. They get mortgages and family and, and all the trials and tribulations that, that go with that. And we need to be there for our you know, brothers and sisters who are, who are struggling. And I, I, we, we all do. We, so we, we know about this and we've seen it firsthand. But... Uh, yeah, there's just so much good to tell. I, I, I see uh, so many veterans out there because you're looking for them and they're, they're kicking ass. And uh, I went up to Canberra recently, not that I, I can't imagine going back to Canberra anytime soon, but uh, they're just everywhere and they're doing awesome stuff, earning good money, uh, living good lives. And, 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 yeah, we just don't seem to hear about it. And, but, um, but, you know, I'll leave that to, to others anyway. Yeah. I don't know... Um what the the whole process behind like we you say one comment so we we sort of said a comment in canberra we're down there uh with the barbecue to remember and we said hey look you know what do you think about this report and what it's going to do i'm like and we said one fucking thing we're like you know look we just need to have a look for the some people are dealing with shit and you, you could have a, a a large effect on people's mental health if they're dealing with shit you're bringing it back up or you're discrediting their service like it's going to be it could be some some sweeping and then it just seems like the media grabs something and they run it and they will fucking run it into the ground. And then they have to find someone to perpetuate that narrative. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> it's frustrating. And uh, I, yeah, there's a few things I'd say about the you know, kind of the support to veterans health. One is we've got one of the best veteran support uh, networks, uh, resourcing, um, you know, agencies and ESOs, etc. In the world, full stop. There's probably more. I don't. I can't. Um, I can't. Got no evidence for this. But per veteran capita, there's probably more money and resources to support. Now, that's not to say that it's perfect. And DVA does need a change. The government, um, I suppose, top-down approach probably needs to have more bottom-up approach. Uh, there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that need to, but we need, again, uh, think about there's lots out there. 
Um, yeah, the ESO community is brilliant. Uh, I, I, uh, I've, I've got a, a, a work with a couple myself and uh, we work kind of squarely in education, but it's fragmented. It's all over the shop. We've got people working at cross purposes. Um, you know, I, I've never been one for centralization, but I think that there's probably a need for in the future for some kind of central body to kind of just co-ord everyone, not 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 to tell people what to do, but say, oh, you're you're in you're doing education. Well, here's five other people doing. Let's try and pull resources. I don't know. That's it. Just it seems a bit fragmented. Um, but the the yeah you know, the mental health story is just too simplistic for me. I, I there's uh, it's such a complex thing. Um, some populations are super, you know, are super represented, you know, no shit frontline and, and um, infantry um, units or, or the frontline units, um, whilst others have lower prevalence and uh, lower mental health issues uh, beyond 12 months because 12 months seems to be that, you know, it's quite obviously a sensitive time when you get out of the military. Um, and there's so many complicating factors that uh, it, it's, it's unhelpful to pick out one part and then use that as as the, uh, the 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 main staff for for any argument or any any um any outrage as, as we kind of see I, i've got this saying I, I i would like to see less welfare and more prepare and uh so we we go we you know the the the, the organization that I, I work with um that's inspiring some other stuff starts the conversation early in the career you know one day it's like we do with footballers here and footballers in australia sports people in australia the conversation has to start very early in your career one day you're going to be finished either washed up like me at 36 or uh i've had a, have a tough life or um <laughs> or, you, or an injury you know an injury an acl or you know yourself you go away you, you're deployed you go on you know, probably more injuries on training but um and your career's over or whatever you were aspiring to. So that conversation needs to start earlier. And I think we could force a lot more of the resources upstream in deep into defence, into career, rather than waiting at ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, put the ambulance at the top of the cliff and and um, a lot more preparation. 100%. I mean, that's that's our kind of focus as well. Like, get as far upstream as possible. We should be delivering this training to guys as soon as they get off the bus at Kapuka. Um the, the issue we found with that is that no one wants to, to, to be the middle missed generation. So if, you, if you're going to go from where we are now, trying to grab people 10 years after they got out and we go, all right, the model to fix it is to go get the new people as they're coming in at Kapuka, then everyone in that gap in the middle stresses out and the, the politicians are like, oh, what about that, that block of people in the middle? And I'm like, well, there, there is things we can do for them, but sometimes you just got to say, fuck it, let's get it right upstream and then come back and, and address that. Yeah, it kind of it goes a bit to uh, what Mex said before about um, uh, the, the, the resistance to change inside the unit when we were bringing the human performance program. So we did have a deliberate bottom, and this is a bit of the psychologist in me, I suppose. I, my, my master's is organisational psychology, so it's more focused on teams and performance. The clinical stuff kind of got a bit heavy. I remember walking out of a class one day and just go, fuck, I can't do that. So it's heavy enough what I'm, I was still in the unit at that stage. And uh, so, but the, in, in there's, you know, some really good constructs and really good models um, for change. And, you know, the, the most basic one is it's got to be top down and bottom up. And what does that mean? It means that you do start. So, you know, what we did at the regiment is uh, beyond about 2012, I want to say, 
our Rio week when the after guys had just come off selection um, that week that we had with them instead of them going off boozing for for, for ten days, uh, which I didn't mind. But when I came through, but uh, we got them in and we started educating and saying this is the way we do it. That's no no options. If you want to join and stay with us, this is how we look after our bodies, our minds, our social networks. Uh, this is what we think and feel, and and this is how we deal with that. You know, and in in uh, uh, in a sports science kind of way, and and the research. And at the same time, you're chipping away at the at the top as well, the old fellas and the instructors, and trying to bring them. And it's never ever going to go smooth. You're not going to flick a switch and everybody's on. Um, but I, I, I would put my hand on my heart now and say that uh, that change has taken ten years, but it's it's pretty bloody close. Uh, a lot of those courses. So, yeah, I think that that's what I'd say to the government. Of course, you can't capture those people in the middle, or can you? I don't know, but it's still not an excuse to to uh you know to 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 have a plan and and um you know acquit it mm. yeah <clears throat> because you do a lot of work in this space uh as because you're on the um you're the state manager for the wandering warriors as well aren't you and uh oceanic director of uh u.s mission critical teams uh what else you got victorian you're uh uh young heroes rsl victoria yeah, so look, but they're things I've worked in. Yeah, there's, I guess you just kind of flit around. I did a bit of work with Damo up on the on the Younger Heroes. That's a great uh, initiative. They bring, uh, if you've been away from your kids for a long time, they find a place so that the, the service person can come with their kids and just hang out in the bush, which I, I rate. I think nature, who would have thought cru cruising around in, in um in, uh, in the bush was good for you. I, there was plenty of time I thought, what the fuck am I doing here? I wish I was in a pub in town or something. Uh, but da uh, Damien Schofield, he does a bunch of work. I did a bunch of research for the RSL off the back of my master's in, in psych and I uh, worked with the veterans, a lot of them out at Lee and Gather in Gippsland, which I loved. It was it was fantastic. And, and, and actually a real insight into what the local RSLs out in the country are doing with veterans. It's there's some great programs and really positive stuff and really uplifting. Um, um, uh, I was inspired actually. I think it was um, I'm not sure it was one Thaggy or or Leon Gatha. Uh, they had a, 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 a they paid for gym memberships for veterans and they they had dozens of veterans turning up to do gym together, getting off the grog, uh, getting employment, supporting each other. And I actually think. I think you might know I've, I've, I've written uh, lots about everybody who leaves defence gets two-year gym membership to any gym in Australia, full stop. And that it just it's just a grounding place to 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 go. And let's these days people living leaving defence are more uh, attuned to the gym than they've ever been. Not everyone, but I think it's it's a start. Um, and the mission critical team stuff in the US is um, is working with military, police, uh, fire. You know, emergency responders and medical staff uh, around or similar similar um, topics and and training and education as we're talking about today. So, I just find Mex that now that I'm out, I feel like I want to give back even more. You know, I, I and uh, you, know, you want to help even more, and I think that's okay. I think it's nice. You just got to check yourself. You don't get sucked in too too far and too hard. You know, you need to power down. Uh, the same as when you're in no um because it's just it that that transition space where you, you get out and you want to help uh and and into those fucking amazing programs uh i think it's really important that it's that purpose piece isn't it and even though 
that introspection to know that it's giving back and, and whether it's altruistic behavior or where, or where, where it comes from, you still, that purpose piece is, is probably the piece that we sort of preach as well. Now it used to be jobs. The government was all about giving people jobs, jobs, jobs. But if you work a shit job, you're still going to fucking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Nick Baldwin, he works, he, he was in one hour with us. Um, when he got out, he ended up, he's got a good job now with PwC in Canberra. But when he got out, part of the transition job program was taking him, I think it was a full track in an infantry unit, get out. And they're like, all right, we've got your job interview at Woolworths stacking shelves, mate. And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's a job. That is not purpose. The purpose you have in the army is not going to be fulfilled by standing shells at Woolworths. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not using their strengths, no, that's for sure. (laughs) And it's, I think this is where that cohort comes into it. Um, you know, the education, uh, employment. Um, but again, this conversation needs to start, uh, kind of way upstream um, rather transitions too late. It's just simply that it's a simple, I think it's as simple as that transitions too late. And uh, we need to be having those discussions prior. And um, look, I I think generally speaking, Australia does a pretty good job. I think we're in danger here of saying, oh, it's all fucked and and everything. And look at it for some people it is they're deep in it. And I've, I've seen those people I've held their bloody hugged them while they've cried and, and all the rest of it. But, there's still another story here. And I think as they're coming through and out of transition, I would like the conversation to be not here's DVA and welfare, although that's important. Uh, Christ knows when I get older, I'll be asking for a bit more help uh, um, from DVA, but it's, it's not the whole, it's not, it's only a small part of the story. The bigger story is you still, you have to keep going. You just got to keep getting up and keep going each day and, and stop drinking, stop doing drugs Get to the gym as regularly as you can, or get get active, or do whatever. Stay engaged in the community, and and I think uh, it's just a transformation period. You, you know, at the Mission Critical Team Institute, we call it this period of liminality. Um, so you and and the best way to have heard it described, Preston Klein describes it as the surf zone. So liminality is is the period between a period in transformation, uh, say in a human's life or or anything. A transformation of anything where you're not quite what you used to be and you're changing towards what you're going to be in the future. Selection, for example, in the in, in special ops or any form of selection is that. And the best way to describe it is that it's not quite on the, it's the surf zone. You're not quite on the beach. You're not quite in the ocean, but you can feel the bottom and you can feel the water. You're kind of caught in between and uh, that you're being pulled, you know, um, left and right and up and down. And so in transition, I think that's quite a bit what it's about. And during that time, I think, uh, you know, we've just got to uh, help people through that period to get to what they're going to be in the future and, and come rounding back to your point, Max, is having a north point, having an aim point, having a purpose. And if you need to fake it till you make it with uh, work with veterans or work with kids or work in community work, uh, then so be it. Um, unfortunately, got to the education piece, the, 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 the hard news and, and uh, the hard work is that you might have to do some shit work and some shit things, but fill your, fill your life with purpose during that period. Uh, I know you, this sounds sexy. I've, I've known people who've gone to work for the big four or, or those types of companies, and it sounds great and the money's good, but they're just doing – they soon realise that sitting in an office at, in front of a computer for – 
for eight hours a day really sucks. And, uh, you know, and so, but that's life. Yeah, unfortunately, the, 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 that's the tough news for everyone that when you come out, there's life, you know, isn't a treat. There's no expectation or entitlement, um, but uh, just adjust, but it will take time. And look, there's good blokes like all of us and good women out there to help if they, if they want, uh, if they need a hand. Because you, uh, I think it's, you've been sort of quoted as saying that you think it takes about about ten years to transition fully from one sort of well transition. Oh, uh, there's no doubt, and you know, and look, for some people it won't. I, look, you know, and I don't want to kind of make it about us and them or anything, but yeah, officers are probably going to have an easier time, and we see less mental health representation or less less prevalence. I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying that that's the statistics show. And they, they, they're educated, they've got pathways, and they generally come through um, fit for purpose, um, which is why most of my effort, 99.9% .9 of it goes into to us, uh, us good guys. Uh, but the, but the, that, that transition period uh, doesn't matter who you, whether you're an officer or an OR or, or, or who, where you come from. Uh, Coleman Ruiz and I were talking recently in, a, in another podcast, just waxing lyrical um, about it. But I, I, Coleman and I, I went to uh, San Diego in 2015, I think it was, or was it 2017? And he and I were having a beer out the back and I was just about, I'd just left the regiment. I'd come to Melbourne and I was feeling a bit lost. You know, this there was this huge weight off me when I left the regiment. I've kind of, there was life outside. But about a week later, two weeks later, I, I felt scared and, and lost. You know, where's all my mates and who can I talk to and who are these bloody civvies? They're, they, they're soft as, you know, pensioners turd. But I spoke to um, I spoke to Coleman. I said, mate, you know, how, how, how is it? He was a SEAL, Navy SEAL for, for, uh, for 10 or 15 years. And he said, I said, how was your transition? He'd been out about five or six. And he said, oh, still going. He said, I haven't, it hasn't stopped. And I said, what? And he goes... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I don't think there's a transition point. And here I was, I was thinking that you could kind of get out, have six or twelve months, and you'd be fine. Uh, and and I, there was a bit of anxiety around that. And I think that's what happens with people; they kind of get locked into this anxiety and and longing and and looking backwards. But when he said that, mate, there was a, just a permission for me to take my time and take a deep breath and realize that. Um, what we found in some of the research, this concept of residue, uh, that it stays with you and just accepting that there will be a feeling and a belonging going forward that just will take time, a long, long time. It's almost like losing a, a loved one. Um, I, you know, I lost my mum when I was uh, 16, 17, and it just never quite leaves you, but you got to learn to reframe it in, in a different way. And this is a power of psychologists. I, I haven't stopped seeing them. And I, I was onto them early. I was one of the very few people. And I think they're super powerful or, or counsellors or mentors, whatever. You should always have them when you come from uh, jobs like ours where we've had extreme experiences, whether it's, you know, and that's not even to talk about combat. That's talking about just extreme experiences of training and of, of, of what you're training for and the gravity of the job. Um, you really need to work hard to process that, and I would encourage everybody to to do to do that to work really hard. Because um, <clears throat> so talking about that, and and this is the big thing: instructor credibility. Having a guy, um, Harry Moffat, eleven operational deployments, two thousand two to two thousand thirteen. 
you are the pit like so we i mean our, our demographic is predominantly the um not we're for open for everyone it's tools for everybody but the demographic that you know we get down we get our um statistics from all of our platform viewing platforms and our demographic is uh what was it keeks 25 year old uh and they're all ex yeah all combat core all dudes <laughs> but the the thing is the instructor credibility in the piece saying you get people who do the podcast make it a bit tongue-in-cheek have a laugh talk in the language that we used to fucking talk in wrap up a bit of mental health but put people in front of the camera who you, you want a camera <laughs> you know who got a good head for radio i didn't, I didn't know about that. <laughs> Who, who can can attest and go, you're going to do transit. You know, when you get out, it's not all doom and gloom, but this is a process. This is what I went through. And, and hearing your story and saying, it's all right, mate, because I know you're quite humble professionals and getting you to, to talk about it is, is different. But, you know, you guys are looked up to in the army and to get your story in front of people. And then it gives them that, like you were saying, it gives them that, uh, what do you say, the 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 reason, the okay to actually transition and feel. Yeah, that that's huge. And it's just simple permission. And it's not me giving anyone permission. It's people giving themselves yeah. permission. Mate, you're going to feel shit. It's going to be tough at times. Uh, paying a mortgage off and having all that responsibility without the background and the security blanket of the military is tough. Oh, I still do. I still kind of at times really lament. I sit out the back with a beer and listen to the frogs croaking and, and lament. A great time, you know, when I was writing the book, Keegan, Keegan's dad, you know, Matt Locke, he and I used to sit up on top of the um, the the, uh, well, the King of Jordan's holiday home and watch all the Blackhawks fly over. And that was black and green force, uh, uh, the Task Force Green and Black, the UK and the US guys going to do hits up in Sardis City and elsewhere. And we used to sit there and, and, and reflect and gag and have a have a sneaky scotch or a beer or two and smoke a cigar or a cig, whatever whatever was on offer for either, and have a just like marvel at, at, at where we found ourselves. And I sit out the back now and I really lament though, or not lament, I, I, I'm nostalgic about those times. I, I wish they were, I could do it all again and, and particularly as I'm getting older. But back to reality you know and i think this is uh, they they're the important conversations it's okay to feel uh overwhelmed and 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 um a bit lost and whatnot when you first get out we know that most of the mental health issues occur in the first 12 months or 18 months you know so uh i th i hope that uh regardless of who you are uh, it, just having that permission to take your time in transition it takes a while you know it'll 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 take a while you know there's a few things i i, I find some uh, veterans have got out because they're angry, and that's uh, that's probably a, an indicator, not a good indicator for, or an indicator for a poor outcome potentially. Uh, or they've um, they've got out through injury, and again we see spikes in mental health in the first twelve or twenty four months. People who who have medically discharged, and they both make really sense, make a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, so. Uh, that's important information for us all to think about internally. What is the position I'm leaving the beach from? And also for all of us who are helping them, one of the first questions you might ask is interrogate and just find out what was their exit like? Was it were you pissed off with the military or were you pissed off with yourself or 
Um, did you have a pleasant transition or, or was it an injury? So, you know, they, 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 it's, I'm kind of gabbling a bit here, but it's, it's, it is kind of complex, but uh, permission's a huge thing. Uh, giving yourself permission. I the um well I only was started listening or got through listening to your book um over the last couple of days. Chapter before that, the one where you're talking about um Kevin's old man. The one before that was about Jimmy Mullen. Still rating? Uh I, at the time I did. He was uh when you see what it, the job he was doing inside the um inside the headquarters, it was pretty fucking impressive. And I don't know a man who who, who slept less <laughs> apart from me um but look i don't follow politics so I, I, I if i do follow politics it's purely as a sport uh not as a not as a you know because i think they're they're all fucking off in their own heads up their own bums and uh i don't don't know what's going on sometimes but uh, yeah, look, I, I, I spent a fair bit of time with him, uh, as did Matt, and I think we, uh, you know, he, he had the odd sneaky scotch with us, and uh, was an okay bloke. I, I don't have anything to bad. I, if I put him on a, if I had to rate him in terms of generals and and uh, senior ranking O clubbers, uh, I'd, I'd put him up there. He could he could uh, swear and curse and and uh, drink and and talk about AFL with the best of them. Um, but he's a political beast now, isn't he? So he's yeah. he's a bit different. I mean, the, re- the reason I asked, we had a, we did a barbie for a bunch of bollies down in Canberra on Remembrance Day, and um, yep. when Jim came down for the barbie, no shit, he, I thought it, it was like there was a digger there, like just had to be on the barbie. Wanted to talk, wanted to get like with two twenty cent bangers, couldn't get enough of them. He's just a bit worth both. So what would you? What he, he's he's got short arms and long pockets. You reckon he's <laughs> come down for the free feed? <laughs> it was uh, it was a great time. And I just want to dwell on on um, on Matty Locke and that and that time because we, you know, it was it was surreal. We were driving around uh, Baghdad. Uh, we we were this will sound bad but i don't mean it this way but we we had the we had the run of the city you know we, we, were, we were kind of a it was no really uh, no one to report to other than jim and his adge and his his, his assistant um uh steve I'll, I'll call him uh the but it was such a brilliant time and and i think i mentioned in the book lucky that uh uh you know matt was such a professional and so were the other team leaders at the time that uh, it, work, it just works perfectly. And there's been a bit of criticism about why weren't the officers on the ground with the SAS. And, and look, no problems at all. Uh, they, they, uh, they should be in, in most cases are. So it's a bit of a fallacy, this bullshit about there weren't any. Um, but the, but uh, the, the regiment works like that. Two blokes in Baghdad, you can't, you know, that you have to be trusted to do that work. And I can promise you that all of my experience has been of the utmost professionalism. And the thing I loved about uh, Lockie is uh, he was up for a cheeky beer, but he'd always say, oh, we'll wait till five o'clock, you know. And <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's quarter two, nut. Nah, was just wait until the handover's done and then, you know. Was, <laughs> and no, not Chinese eyes. Yeah, but professional, you know, and, and Larry can say I specifically remember him coming back from that trip about double the size he went. He was that jack. He came back jacked. Mate, was a lot of gym time over there. Fuck yeah! He so there was a gym uh, just across town, not too far from where we were, and uh, uh, it was a, a good quality gym too. I spent a fair bit of time in there, but he was there 
crack of dawn every morning uh, in the gym. Yeah, he, he really smashed it, and uh, and he's yeah, he came back pretty buff. Yeah, quote quote from Mum was that he came back looking like a cane toad because his shoulders got so big. It was. I remember he came through and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to be a bad kid for a few a few months." Please. Yeah, a typical Please. bloody water operator, mate. That was. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I've actually got the um. I brought I brought the brick because I'm at Mum's house at the moment. I uh, went and tracked down my brick. The tile. That one there. Yeah, mate. I, I, where I, you know, I mentioned that's right. I'll get my wife to bring mine in, but uh, oh, I'll go and grab it just before we finish up. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's pretty funny that I got the uh, Afghan one as well from that first trip. Yeah, so yeah, same, same. So yeah, because Lockie was actually on the ground that went up there. So that, w- that I had some questions saying, oh, you went up to Osama's place, and I, I didn't go up. They went down there. Um, Probably shouldn't say that. Can I'll you edit that out? A <laughs> yeah. couple of those blokes, uh, they were the ones that went down there and we, they just brought them back and, and uh, said, oh, we were just Johnny's on the spot. And, um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask the wife to bring bring the brick in. So is it, but, the, uh, the story is the, boy, the boys just missed, it, missed him, hey? Say again, mate? Was it The story was that the boys just missed Bin Laden. That, was that when they just missed him in the cave? Yeah, he was he was around there. That was my understanding. And that's that's in, in two thousand and two. That was pretty much our job was to uh, to support the US hunt, and you know it kind of goes to you know the the evolution of the unit over that period. You know, we were world renowned for um, SR patrols in the hills alone for for weeks on end, and pretty self sufficient. Even the um, even uh, to fight the enemy on contact, to, you know, and, and sustain ourselves. So, the uh, the the um, the coalition forces who would bring in you know, rangers or marines or or, or the the uh, strike um, units, especially the tier one strike units, they loved having us in the hills and, and supporting them because we could follow up and help help them with the, the actions as well with the kinetic actions. So. Uh, the 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 at that time, Bin Laden was supposed to be up around Tora Bora and Ali Keel, and they were bombing the fuck out of the caves, uh, trying to drill through and, and collapse them, I guess, or just scare him off. Um, so yeah, the hunt was on, and in our minds, uh, I think everybody that that was that was it, you know. And I think it, I think it had great purpose and great strategy at, at that end of the war, um, uh, at the beginning, and you know we were being used. Uh, properly too, in that we were um, part of Operation Enduring Freedom. We were part of the US Special Operations War, war not um, not part of a more con- conventional war. So, uh, but in terms of just missing him, my understanding, and I, I, I'd be happy to be corrected on this, is that he moved from Ali Keel or Tora Bora into the federated areas of northern Pakistan, and, yeah. and it's even harder. To, to get into a Waziristan or whatever it's called, and then he, he ultimately ended up not far from there. Over, over um, where was it in the end? It wasn't a Sadabad, but um, Abbottabad or something. Or Abbottabad or something. Yeah, Abbott, something bad. <laughs> Cricket bad. <laughs> so that that brick is from his. I mean, that was his. That was his hangout. That was that was his jazz. Yeah, these some of these caves were had medical facility, uh, rudimentary, but v- uh, medical facilities and and um, you know uh, r- places for respite and 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 um, and um, you know quite homely, I guess. The and around the around the fronts of these caves and this one in particular, 
that was bombed by the Americans. Stand by. Got it? <laughs> so this is it. Yeah, Lucky, this is this is the bottom of it there. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. So just so we got there, you go. I'm pretty stoked about that. That's awesome, mate. Yeah, the, the story is um, pretty funny. I was reading the, well, I was listening to the, the book the other day about the story. It's pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. The um, but the, to, to finish off on it, yeah. So the uh, the, the uh, what was I going to say? Oh, it doesn't matter. But, but um, to go to the that the the story about the brick over the um, headquarters there. Yeah, we watched that brick. Your, your dad and I watched that brick for 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 weeks and weeks, and um, we talked. You know, we that'd be a nice brick to put alongside the Osama brick. And um, we we had a you know this is bit, this is highly confidential, okay, just between us three, us four. Um, but uh, we had a we had a couple of beers, and uh, we thought, oh, we'll go and only only one or two, and we'll go and get this brick. And we got up got up on top, and we brought some ropes and. But we'd forgot the forgot a, you know carabiners and somewhere to tie, there was nowhere to tie off and we was just a complete debacle to be honest and uh, your old man he much braver than I said oh, I'll climb down the face and it was sheer you know <laughs> and said, Harry, you you just hold on to the rope and I said mate you weigh about a dollar fifty you know he was massive and, uh, all muscle and uh, I said nah look mate we'll uh, let's let's uh, let's uh, retire for the night, and um, and we'll, we'll get it. And then, as it turned out, you know, there's bombs going off every every AM and PM, big big bangs in around Baghdad at that stage. It was the peak of the the uh, suicide bombing campaign, and and uh, rockets and whatnot. And it fell off of its own volition. And uh, we drove through one morning, found it in the bush, and and that was got, it. Yeah, got pillaged. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, really memorable. Like I said, mate, it was a, such a memorable trip that one because we were probably not in high peril all the time. Although we had a few near misses, we got uh, you know suicide bombers. You'd see them occasionally driving up and down the freeway, and uh, a couple of them cracked off in front of us. I think there's a picture in the book, maybe um, right in front of us. They 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 cracked off. Uh, we, we were sitting in the car wash one one day, and a few mortars landed like twenty or thirty meters behind us. And I said, I said to Locke, I said, "What are we going to do?" And he goes. Just stay here, <laughs> like, like, like just casual as you like. I think he's reading the paper at the time. She's <laughs> uh, so saying a suicide bomber cracked off in front as you as the target, or as just someone else, and you were like, "Fuck, that was close." No, so it was in the yeah, it was was close, mate. And so we were we just driven into we're just pulling into the uh, buy-up into the um, <clears throat> Baghdad International Airport. And uh, there's a little lineup as you come through, and we uh, we we got access straight through. And as we pulled up and slowed down to come through the checkpoint, um, two cars just came up the side, and one blew up about you know what 50 meters to our half left, uh, if that. And the other one drove straight into the the civilian contractors who were all coming onto the base to do cleaning, whatever, and cracked off and killed. I can only imagine. You know, a dozen people and there was you know lots of people wounded and and uh whatnot it was uh yeah it was pretty close i mean if we had been another um you don't know we we're in an up armored car which is good and bad but um if we had been another 50 meters up um we certainly would have would have uh been got blasted um yeah the up armored cars if your if the car breaks down and the computer shut down from the blast then you can't get out and and uh, a lot of those cars used to catch on fire so that was that was uh, always a risk for us. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, generally we're pretty safe. You know. Yeah, I think I remember watching the video that Dad brought back from there, and then the story in the book that you tell about the uh, I think it was a civvy contractor vehicle that got blown off the side of the bridge. Yep. And then Bert, he showed it. I think I saw the photo. He took a photo of the crater that it left. In the yeah, it's in one of the videos, I think we drive past it. Past it, yeah, promo, yeah, and it's that rude Irish was a kind of daily reminder um, of uh, your cars and and contractors who got whacked every day. I mean, I wouldn't have done that job for a for a million bucks. So we went and saw a few of them, and um, uh, and you know, were, yeah, it was a pretty tough life for a few extra gilders. Um, but that, yeah, that one they that the suicide bomber bomber pulled up beside them and blew them off the bridge um and uh, they burned live inside the car because they couldn't get out and that was i think that was common as in as much you know as, yeah. as much that there was it, when it happened it was it was bad i think i think what you said earlier you said it's the worst time to have released the book i think it's the i personally think it's probably the best time you you could have released the book not not as in a sense for advertising and marketing but i think a lot of boys will read it and it, it's a good thing for them I think um, you capture a lot of what actual SAS guys are like, like the humility, like growing up with the boys, obviously I know what they're like. And I think you capture that really well in the book. And I think a lot of Australians will read it and get a good side of what the boys are like. I, I, I appreciate that, Lockie, because, you know, when, like, just to bring the book out, I, I wrote the book in 2015. I went to England for 10 weeks to a, a village called Wargrave in in um in the Thames Valley and I was all I did is I took my journals are just in a box here two big boxes of journals I kept I was a mad journaler always have been um and I took you know I photocopied most of them and took the pages with me and and just wrote wrote and wrote and wrote and it wasn't really to any it wasn't really to write a book per se I just thought in my own mind that I'm leaving the unit this is a massive inflection point whether I like it or not because life isn't you know things shit just happens you know stress happens to us as well as from within us and I knew that it would be a tough time and I thought the best way I can kind of reconcile the past is go and write about it. and I encourage all of you and anyone listening and all of your mates to go and do the same thing writing is such a powerful way uh, one of the problems with mental health I think is that thinking and the mind is so confusing we've got no idea what's happening between how we're talking and thinking in our mind. We really don't. We think we've got this structured language and linguistics coming. We've just got no clue. No one knows what's happening in the mind. And so a lot of the, um, a lot of that, that, uh, that the, the kind of um, negative thoughts and things that kind of make, give us anxiety or stress or make things worse than what they are, we, it's the confusion around where all that comes from. And I knew that at that time, there'd be a lot of that. I journaled it all, wrote about 150,000 words and then came back and I had a discussion with uh, a cricket writer of all, Malcolm Knox, and, and then met um, Tom Gilliatt and they both said, you should definitely tell this story. We'll help you. We'll be respectful to the unit because uh, I was really afraid they'd kind of tear off and have this tell-all story, which I, I didn't want it to be. But we decided last year that we released it in October, planning on a July re release of the report. We, we knew it was coming out. But fuck me, you know, how, who who could have picked in the same week? And I was when I found out it was coming out because the whispers started in early October on our back channels, and I don't think I slept for like two weeks, just thinking, "Fuck!" And I was on to Tom, going, "Mate, can we cancel?" He goes, "It's we can't. It's coming out. We've paid all this money, and you've signed a contract." And I'm just going, "Fuck!" 
anyway, my wife just said to me, it is what it is. Let it go. Uh, and, you know, and, and kind of comforted me, but uh, it was very difficult. But having said all that, uh, I, you know, maybe it is, it is what it is and it's, it, maybe it is the right time. I don't know. Time will tell. But uh, it's it's not a tell all. It's and it's not a. I'm not giving away any secrets. And I hope it's taken for for what it is. You know, it's just a, a, a bloke and a few bats having a few beers and cracking through life. I, I hope that's I hope that's it, mate. The um the, the way the world is at the moment is separated to divided and polarised. The, the hard one left is that they believe everything they can see in the news without doing any research. They wouldn't have to be anyway. But the guys Center right, mate. Now he's driving is the perfect time. Like, and and I'm going through it. Like, there's a lot of military dudes out there that have written books that they're like, oh, I can see you had a story to tell me. Book writing skills aren't that good. This is a fucking sick um, no, one. Thanks, mate. You put, I, I listen to audio books on driving. Um, and re- normally I do a podcast for an hour and then turn it off for a bit and then do something else. This is one of those ones. It was this, and I, I hate to say it, but David Goggins did it to me as well. I don't like David Goggins that much, but his book is. <laughs> your book I put on, mate, while I'm driving, and if I'm driving for 10 hours, I'll listen to it for 10 hours. Like, it's, it's entertaining. It's good. Oh, mate, look, I, I, I absolutely appreciate it and from, from all of you. And uh, it, it actually, it, it seriously, sincerely gives me great comfort because I guess, uh, you know, if you haven't got your your reputation or whatever that is, uh, you've not got much as a soldier. It, it really is. And, and, um, uh, and I was super worried about it. So it, it's, it gives me uh, comfort. So thank you. And coming from, from uh, young, young, hard charges too, uh, it, mean, it means a lot because that's what I want to spend the rest of my life doing is helping out, you know, young men and women coming through, if I can, or wherever I can, that's it. Uh, cause it's, it's cricket, right? Centered. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a cricket book. It's a personal uh, fuck. I, I, I can't pigeonhole it. Uh, I absolutely can't pigeonhole it. But, um, the stories about, cause I mean, cricket's obviously massive in your life. I have been told that you're a terrible batsman and you're, but you're not a bad bowler. So <laughs> spot on. Yeah. No. So my, my cricket mates reckon I should have called it bats 11. <laughs> I, I was. Uh, I always batted at uh, at eleven. Batting average. Look, yeah, and so I guess that that goes to the to the central point of why I wanted to why I was inspired to to kind of get the book out. Um, so I've got this uh, unique collection of cricket bats, eleven eleven bats, uh, and each one of them's from a deployment. It just worked out that way. It certainly wasn't by design. And uh, on each of those bats are all the signatures of the men and women I serve with on on combat operations, on program operations, and other things that we did across the time. Um, Lockie's on there, uh, you know, uh, must be three or four times right from the from the early days. Um, and uh, so those, those bats uh, kind of got them out of the garage one day when we were coming over from Perth to Melbourne and uh, over a beer. My mate kind of planted the seed saying, you know, it was a pretty remarkable kind of set and what, what they meant. So I got to Melbourne. I met someone and told them about that. We'd had a discussion about it. And that, long story short, they ended up at the Shrine of Remembrance on a on an exhibition. And I walked into the exhibition. I was just blown away. It was this beautiful, uh, you know, well-curated story was told and everything. And when I saw them up there, 
um, I, it kind of gave me a bit of a, a, a tingle. And they spent 12 months there in the, in the, in the short-term exhibition area. And that, that's where I started to get a bit of interest. And that's kind of where I, this journey started around having written my written this massive journal and these, these well, what ended up being about 75 different stories of about three to 5,000 words each. Um, uh, that's where the discussion started about, you know, do you want to tell the story about the bats? And, and so that, I, I think it's a nice way to have the chapters, the bats. I think it kind of makes sense. Uh, Malcolm Knox, who was the editor in the end, uh, who helped me through what book writing was. I had no fucking clue how to write a book. Uh, and, but I've got to tell you, I love the, I love the experience. And I think I, I don't think I'm bad at telling a yarn. And I've learned a lot. I've done a lot of academic writing, but um, I enjoyed it and I hope to do more. But what, what I really love, I'll tell you what's, what's nice, and going back to Adrian's um, kind words before, uh, which kind of, you know, is very humbling, is I get texts on, um, on LinkedIn or, or, or messages on LinkedIn or whatever, and people randomly just write, and they say, oh, enjoying the book or whatever. They say, uh, on bat four, bat, I'm on bat eight, you know, rather than chapter this or up to this page or anything like that, just getting through um, bat, you know, the, bat four. And I, and I love the way they kind of refer to it as, as a bat. So it's a, it's a lovely way to, to, to kind of posit the book and, and frame it. Has, um, has the externals been getting heaps more attention now that you now that the book's on? Uh, no, we, <laughs> our two, our two, uh, our two fans of um, uh, uh, hang around, but uh, I think they might be a bit strange. I, I must be one of them. I got, I got. Uh, Spotify does your top twenty pl- songs for the year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, the externals came in there a few times, so it was good. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, we're still going. We're recording at the moment. Actually, we recorded. Uh, here in North Melbourne, and we've got a little studio room down in St Kilda that we do pre-production on. But we're probably about, I'd say, a quarter of the way through uh, the record, proper um, studio recording. And we, you know, I, I think uh, we can maybe have it out, you know, realistically for February, or March next year. So we've called it up uh, vertical consumption at this stage. Uh, we'll get someone drinking beer through a COVID mask or something. <laughs> Um, on the front cover, and we'll, but uh, that's there. Look, mate, I talked about cricket, and I talked about having something else outside of the regiment. I think cricket and the band uh, kept me grounded. You know, civilians um, after after they hear about you're a soldier or whatever, they get past that, and there's a, a substantive kind of discussion to have, and uh, they keep keep you grounded. So uh, the bands played a massive role in in um, keeping me sane and. And together along the journey, along the journey, going back, your old man and most of his mates were up the front with their shirts off doing push-ups. <laughs> That's yeah. why we don't have many um, fans because they'd come along and they'd see these freaks that doing half semi-naked push-ups on the floor, <laughs> pouring beer over each other, and they'd all leave. Because <laughs> oh, you didn't, didn't uh, you played in big a uh, big day out in '97. Yeah, uh, while you were all still. Serving, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did, and and I don't know whether you remember a band called Prodigy. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're pretty big, they're pretty massive, and um, we were in the green room, and we used to carry a fridge around full of VB tins, right? It was a gutted fridge, and it was a six-man lift when it was full, and so we rock into the green room, plonk down this fridge. It had about six or seven cartons of VB in it, and we're getting ready to. That was how we. That was our prep for the for the gig, <laughs> and um, all these, you know. A, 
dare not say it, but all these these kind of hippie looking dudes are all coming in with stuff. We thought they were the roadies, you know, they got earrings through their nose and nose rings through their ears and all this type of stuff. And that's cool. I'm not, I'm not having a go, but we thought they were roadies, and and so we were just sitting in the middle, dominating. There's about ten of us, you know, including a few boys. And we're going, oh, just chuck it over there, mate. And they all went outside. They couldn't get into the fridges because we were in front of everything. We were just a bit rude and arrogant, I thought. But we just thought they were the roadies dropping shit off. And it turned out to be the band. And uh, they were fucking pissed off at us. <laughs> we left it all there, went up and played. We, we took smoke grenades up on stage. You know, this is you know, what you probably get in trouble for telling, telling you this. But, uh, and we just left the place in an absolute mess and got drunk as 10 men. Uh, would and uh, it was yeah that that was that was good it was probably the probably peak externals I think because <laughs> yeah. you got sponsored by VB uh, and Baraka didn't it? did you get a sponsor is that is that true yeah partly true so <laughs> uh, the, the Swanbourne Hotel sponsored us with VB oh it's gold and uh, the local chemist sponsored us with Baraka so we <laughs> yeah so we uh, so partly true but we didn't actually have a a, a um, uh, a written contract with Barocca and VB, although CB, CUB, we did have a deal locally in WA uh, with two cartons of VB each gig, um, as, long, as long as we displayed them proudly. So I used to, one of my jobs as a singer, because I did stuff all, I was just the roadie for the band and carry heavy stuff, and I was the beer baron. So if you're in the band and you yell out, beer baron, loud, that means I've got to double away, drop what I'm doing, grab a beer and bring you the, the beer, <laughs> which is, which is um, proper. But uh, I used to make it my business to go on stage before we just before we played and put at least a dozen cans, you know, in prep in the positions on the on the guitar amps and drum riser and whatnot. So um, yeah, I tell you what, VB got their uh, got their worth out of us, that's for sure. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> Might have to hit them up for a proper sponsorship now. Yeah, I don't know how that'd go. But, uh... <laughs> um, because I oh, was I was the. Uh... Uh, the journal stuff. I just wanted to go back and speak about. Um, I mean, this because this has happened uh, a lot in our demographic of people about the journals. Um, people remember things differently, and they remember. Then they can, as, as they go through an, an experience that happened. We spoke about this a couple of times with the with the bicycle photo when you're a kid. Um, but people, I mean, I've had it's ten years ago since I last deployed, and you get on the piss, and everyone has a few beers, and someone will tell a story, and you're like. Bro, that fucking definitely didn't happen like that. Uh, but they fucking believe it. They're like, yes, fucking 100% it did. Um, and I think having a journal or fucking finding a way of notating what happened at that time, uh, you can go back and read it as to how it fucking was. I mean, yes, subjectively to your perception of the world. Um, yeah. But but you can go back in 10 years' time and you haven't – because it's not saying that people are making stories up, but they just – remember things differently and and that that memory then becomes part of who they are right yeah definitely journaling's i think a, a superpower if you can if you can train yourself to do it and it doesn't even need to be reams of writing you know pages it can be bullet points and you don't have to do it every day you know and I, i'm not sure that that is particularly helpful but i think as i was, as i was alluding to i'm really into kind of linguistics at the moment, just reading on a, a bunch of, um, you know, the cognitive revolution of the mid-last century, a lot of great thinkers come out of there and started to talk, evolve the conversation about mind and body and, and what is mind. And I think one thing I, I, I've learned since, because I kind of did it naturally, I don't know where I got the journaling from. My mum was a bit of a reflector and, and kept her, her journal, but I always thought it was a bit of a 
teenagers thing, you know, like a, a and, uh, uh, you know, where the, 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 you know, the stereotypical teenage girl keeping her journal, dear diary type of thing. But I don't know. It just, again, I think that, that uh, 1980 SAS on television really impacted me. It was around that time that I started to do it. But um, going back to the mind, I, I think, you know, we, we know this, you know this, you know, reading, writing and thinking, this triad of, 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 of being able to structure events and lower the dissonance between what happened and what didn't. Because we, we know humans are quite unreliable at, at, at recalling the past, uh, the reality of the past. They can recall their own. And so what, what often happens, and particularly in extreme um, um, uh, experiences or, 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 or traumatic, you know, so-called experiences, is that we are so overwhelmed with stress or arousal or, 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 um, or, uh, or fright uh, or fear at the time is we don't, we don't see everything that's going on. We know we have auditory occlusion. We have our, our, our um, senses dull uh, and uh, sight, feel, et cetera. Uh, and, and so we only see a small window or a narrow focus or a zoomed in focus or, or, or aspect of what's going on. And I think what happens with journaling is it allows you to lay it out have it down. Be be uh, uh, can, you can confirm in your own mind that it's captured. And you don't have to kind of think about it and store it in the memory banks. And then you can start to unpack it at another, at another level. And I, I found writing the book, I was actually uh, it, it got to a point where there's so much information starting to percolate up out of the journals and everything. And ma remembering times, it starts to you start to think, Fuck, did that really happen, or was that another time? And uh, and and so that memory reconsolidation um, is, I think that's the kind of focus, or that's the kind of function that it plays. Uh, journaling and and also journaling allows you to reconcile with yourself. If you're feeling guilt or shame about not doing something or doing something or feeling, you know, men feel a lot of shame for for, for being weak or not not um, you know, or for displaying weakness. I think journaling kind of helps you to reconcile those those types of feelings, and uh, certainly for me, it was a really cathartic experience. And I, again, I think it's not for everyone, um, and it takes practice to get good at it and to uh, start to realise the benefits of it. But uh, I personally have found it really beneficial, and um, you know, the ancients, the Stoics, and the the the, uh, the other philosophers, schools of philosophy, all talk about journaling as a as a really positive thing, or really as didn't mean to release the contemplations and the and the other books that he that he wrote um, uh, and the meditations, uh, you know, per se. They were just thoughts that he collected along the way, and there's some pretty powerful thoughts in amongst all of those. If you haven't haven't uh, read read any of his stuff, yeah, that's that's going to take me in um, because I mean, philosophy and stuff. We, me and Sutter and Keegs, we get on the piss and we fucking figure out the world's problems and become the world's greatest philosophers. Obviously, yeah, of course. Uh, but it's something that we've we've always been fucking pretty uh, into. But what is it for, for the listeners and and everything? Do you have a re like what's what's the Moff's bloody reading list that recommended reading list or what are you reading now that you're like fuck? You've got to get this in your heads. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a difficult one because uh, my taste might. But I, I really I love my go to book at the moment in, in, from from a philosophical philosophy point of view is Nassim Taleb's Anti-Fragile. I think um, he's, he's controversial. 
uh, and a bit divisive. Uh, he's a, and he doesn't come from someone I doesn't come from a background, <clears throat> a background that I necessarily gravitate to, Wall Street banker of, of sorts. But I think he's a great modern philosopher. Uh, and that book, you can open that anywhere and start diving in and get a great sense of of uh, start uh, of modern philosophy, if you like. Uh, a catch-all, and then I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, modern kind of. Uh, you know, I mean, if you want to go back to the to Aurelius or Epictetus or Hume or uh, who else, Nietzsche or any of the classic philosophers from the classical period or back in the the, the Greek period or Roman periods. Um, yeah, there's plenty on those out there, but they're very difficult to read. And I find sometimes I'll read one translation, and it doesn't necessarily um, marry up with the the uh, the, the modern translation. You know, another translation. So uh, Aurelius is is great. I've got um, there's a good book here by um, Ryan Holiday. I think it is uh, the obstacle. The obstacle is the way. Uh, he captures a lot of the the, the Stoic and Aurelius's um, um, philosophies, uh, but going to the modern ones, also like uh, that, that book "Why Die" by Percy Serity. I think it kind of uh, tells a bit of a story about um, how philosophy is, why philosophy is important for, for athletes. Um, uh, what else? Have I, what else have I got over here? Uh, yeah, probably probably not a, not a lot at the moment. I'm into. Um, I'm into Noam Chomsky at the moment. Uh, it, as I said, I'm into linguistics and, and the mind and a bit of Descartes. Uh, I read online a bit of Descartes and uh, a bit of, bit of uh, Kant as well. Uh, they, they kind of push around the, uh, the, the, the mind dualism and the mind body kind of. Um, uh, David Brooks wrote a great book. I think it's called, geez, what is it called? David Brooks, the is it the uh, character something on character character just escape my escape my mind for the moment he writes about uh, uh, this notion of Adam one and Adam two the the dualism of 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 uh, of man but woman as women as well uh, you know we have this uh, resume appreciation of ourselves so if you write your resume you write all the things you're good at and sell yourself and talk yourself up but then you have this uh, eulogy part of yourself as well. well. What what do you want people to say about you at your eulogy? And they're in contest all the time for all of us. And I think there's some, and he, he captures a bunch of um, philosophers and of philosophies that uh, that underpin that kind of dual that type of dualism that, that the Adam one and the Adam two within all of us. So I love I love that that's um, uh, road to character. I think it's called. And the last one is Alan de Botton, who who is my favourite. He's quirky. He's this nude, uh, you know, this um, uh, bald professor uh, out of um, out of the UK or Europe, and he's got um, the, cons the, the uh, his consolations, I think it's called the consolations, and he catches Montaigne, um, Seneca, uh, a whole bunch of philosophers, but just nice and concisely, and puts them into a modern kind of parlance. So that they, they would be the books that I would go back to there's one book that i'll keep going back to all the time and that's origin of species by charles darwin if you haven't read that that is a must read for everyone it tells you about organizational culture it tells you about uh evolution why it's shit and why it's why it's right and why it's wrong and how you know there's this this um um this uh this notion that you change gradually and man's changed gradually over time but it's not it's not right you know it's it's kind of changed a little bit but then it's had huge surges of change really quickly and then it kind of 
par, um, uh, bounce out for us. So I think that is a, that is a must read, and there's, a, there's just philosophy in every corner of that that book. I've got that twice now. I've read it to death. The pages are falling out, and I've got another small copy. Uh, Origin of Species. That's anyway. I'll, I'll leave it at that. There's um, there's so many. This this is one I read back and forth again too. This is I was only sixteen by uh, Roland Griffiths Marsh. That's the best um, war adventure book I've I've read ever. I'm still uh, I think I'm probably through it for the thirtieth time. Uh, and and uh, look, if you get onto good books that really resonate with you, I'm not talking. And not, don't worry about my rubbish compared to this kind of stuff. They're worth reading again and again because you you just you you, uh, you you just discover gems and are reminded of gems um, each time you flick through it. And his uh, his is a great story. I think some of my writing style, if I can be so bold and, and out there to say I've got any style whatsoever, uh, probably comes from this book and and another book called uh, Papillon by um, Henri Charrier. Charrier. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of Papillon. The book, mate, again, just absolute must-reads. They're, uh, they're, they're beautifully written and um, uh, and the ultimate adventure, you know. Fuck. That's going to give – that's going to about six months – fuck off, mate. Like two years of reading yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like an imp- – I was on a podcast with Coleman the other week in the US and he's rattling off all these books. I'm going, fuck, I, only, I thought I just got up to speed with everything, you know, and then he's going <laughs> – on and that the, the hero's journey is the next one I'll I'll probably crack out at the um at the at the uh, recommendation of a good mate of mine Preston Klein. Fuck. Yep. Well, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna list all them in the comments, and then I'm gonna start trying to crack through. I think it's something that I always you know you always say you're gonna do it, but you need that that point to step off the precipice and go. I'm fucking doing it. So Audible changed that for me, mate. <laughs> Audible. Yeah. yeah, I'm just starting to learn Audible. It's uh, it, it hard to go from being the old school to the new school, but uh, I'm getting used to it. It's a good way to spend your um, your your, your uh, car journeys and train journeys. Yeah, great, great, at, great at the gym. I saw a dude the other, yesterday on the treadmill holding an actual book, and I was like, "What? Oh, that was fuck." He's <laughs> just full, full, full is, speed, full speed, still speed walking, just reading a book, and I was like. <laughs> All right, you're doing one of those things fucking wrong, if not both. Yeah, I think you're showing off. That is the only way to pick up chicks, mate. That is the only reason you bought a book. Let's go. So, what's your um? Because it's about you know showcasing individuals who are who are high performing and have achieved post service as well. Uh, what so um just some of the workouts that we do, some of your favorite workouts that you. I mean, what do you train? Are you, you powerlifting? Are you a runner? What, what's your jam when you go on? Yeah, smarter, I think, is what I am these days. So uh, running's only on grass, uh, and so I'm at the footy oval. So I'm at the footy oval twice a week, and I'll run hard sprints, uh, kick and run, kick and run. Uh, I do a lot of um, – yeah, that's where I do a lot of leg work there, just body, body weight, wet leg work. Uh, I lift heavy twice a week, and and when I say you know lift heavy, um, I'm 53 now, so you know I, I used to pride probably lifting 1.5, 1.8, and probably pulling back the ego now. I'm I'm down around 1.2, 1.3, but it it does because it takes so much longer to recover, and the shoulders and back um, aren't what they used to be. I've given up uh, push ups pretty much all up. I've given up. Um, uh, chin ups, pretty much all up. And they were they were two of my staples for so many years, but they just just yeah, just train a lot smarter. Um, do do a fair bit of lower leg, uh, lower body as well um, in in the gym. Um, but 
I, yeah, probably I don't train every day like I used to. Uh, I probably I swap. Well, I don't probably I, I, I sauna three, four times a week. Uh, I think the research on that's pretty good. Uh, there's a there's a beautiful uh, series of podcasts and research, and it's for everyone. So that um, her name's Rhonda Patrick, and she talks about. Um, uh, she can talk to mugs like me and explain it really simply. Uh, but she's also, a, you know, some a brain brainiac scientist who's got all the research. If you want to go picking through it, and she also talks about fasting. So I'm a faster. Uh, one of the best things I did was listen to an old bloke when he said, um, you know, you know, he said the, the best thing you can do when you give up the tools is drop all the weight and just keep fit and strong. And I went from 85, and I'm probably now about 75, 77 most of the time. And I feel so much better. I feel better, sleep better. But again, I wouldn't be just going off fasting on on Harry Moffat's recommendation. Go and see a doctor and and uh, make sure you make you know because if you've got high or low blood glucose and and uh, high or low blood pressure, saunas or fasting might might be detrimental. So you've just got to be careful on that. But they're, they're two things uh, that I probably have introduced that I feel much better. Yeah, you know, I still I can still chin fifteen and run. Um, you know, 5Ks in 20 minutes. And I think I, I would say that uh, that's pretty reasonable and that I, uh, I've done, you know, that's through dropping weight and just being a bit more mindful about recovery and, and letting go of the ego. That's probably it because um, it does take a bit of ego to look yourself in the mirror and go, oh, I'm a bit skinnier than I used to be or whatever. <laughs> you know, we, I know there's a few nodding heads somewhere out there uh, who... <laughs> Who, who that rec- but but it, it's you guys know it's just and I want to reiterate the the Swiss eight message that it's just it's critical it, it's it just there's no other way to put it to to uh, even if you're not training just keep up the routine of uh, sorry not even even if you're not training hard or lifting heavy or whatever just keeping up the routine and the mindset of getting up going to the gym or going for a workout and and um, putting effort into your body because you know, we perfect what we practice. And if we sit around drinking piss all day and and, um, and laying on the couch watching movies and you'll just get really good at it. And that's, uh, we know how that ends. Fuck, that is, uh, that's, we're going to clip the fuck out of that, mate. That will be <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that's clip, spot on. That mean? Oh, that'll, be a, that'll be a bite. We'll punch that through socials, mate. You, if you oh, sit right, on the couch and watch movies, that. you'll be fucking good at it, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, mate, I, I fucking, I think we could honestly do another four episodes to try and deep dive into fucking Harry Moffat, mate. But, uh, it was great coming on the show, mate. Uh, and well, thanks, mate. I hope we, uh, we can sort of, uh, do some work together in the future. Um, and just stay connected, yeah. mate, because, um, what you're doing and being qualified in, in the field you're in is fucking spot on for what, what the world's going through right now as well. Yeah, but I'd, I'd love to. And uh, as, as I said before, it's not a throwaway line. I'm, I'm really keen to stay connected to the to the next generation of hard charges coming through. And in my mind, it doesn't matter whether they're bloody SAS, infantry, or just civvy vets, all the rest of it. Um, you know, we, we've got, all of us collectively have got some hard work ahead of us because, you know, there's a, a piece of work by Gene Twenge out of the States showing that um, the resilience that we've taken for granted in our soldiers and just in our population is that we can't rely on that anymore. And, uh, you know, society and social media and other things are conspiring to 
break down the resilience in our in our in, in um you know in, in, in certain populations and, and the emerging populations, young younger generations. And I think that's emerging pretty quickly as 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 factual now. We can point to some pretty solid science. So we all have a bit of a duty of care in a way, or a bit of a, a responsibility to to keep up things like ramming the message home about sleep nutrition and, and exercise and and getting around each other so i'd love to stay connected mate love to to uh, lean into what you guys are doing and um and what others are doing too there's there's a, there's a great deal of work and um you know and inspire some of the veterans who are sitting at home and sitting on the couch and drinking too much and and taking drugs whatever a lot of us have been there and we've hit the hit the bottom but there's only one way out and that's through the front door and out onto the street into your car or down to the gym or down to a mate's or, or make a phone call that's that's the first step and then uh and then you, yeah that's that's what i'm here to help so look forward to it yeah well we've got um the matthew lock cup 27th of February, if your if your social calendar's free, mate, we're going to go and Swiss Aid's going to uh, help in Deb to sort of do some tie in some extra bits to it. So, that'll... yeah, I haven't got up there yet. And every year, so flick, yeah, certainly put the put the asset on me. And I know um, Matt Stevens gets up there pretty regularly, uh, the base player of the externals. Uh, so uh, he's always on to me about it. Um, and same same guys, we're at um, we've started up this cricket match on the 23rd of. Um, for the 23rd of January this next year, if you're around Sydney or, or uh, Rushcutters Bay, I think it is, um, Reg Bartley Oval, where Steve Waugh made his first um, first class ton um, for New South Wales. Beautiful little ground. We're doing something similar there. But, yeah, please put the asset on me for that February 23 and uh, all things being equal, mate, I'd, be, I'd love to come up. Yeah, we're good. I mean, what, Jim, old Jim Molan comes up, so... Uh, it's a bit, Does he? Yeah, yeah, he gets up there a fair bit. Gut punch that bloke. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, straight up. <laughs> I heard you might have might have punched a former PM on the show. Is that? <laughs> yeah, that was a Dono's investiture. Yeah, that was crud. He wasn't too happy. <laughs> I hit him hard too. I've, I've only got I've only got small caliber arms, but they're a sustained rate of high accurate fire. <laughs> um, oh. I'm based in Coogee, uh, well, Maroubra, but Coogee, yeah. So that cricket game definitely get some boys there. Yeah, yeah, come down. It's a, it's a ripper day. And I think it's, you know, again, just I suppose where we started, going back to where we started, but with everything that's going on at the moment, for everyone, this impacts everyone. It's just uh, we've got to, this, this, the healing process needs to start, you know, soon enough. And uh, for me, what better way than a, than a game of cricket or or, or sportful stuff, game of rugby or um, going for a surf or whatever to uh, to, to do that because uh, it's positive and uplifting. And Adrian, you know, if, if at least we'll catch up for a beer. Yeah. Where are you at, Lockie? Where... I'm back at Perth now. I was in the Goldie for a while. Yeah, I thought you were up at – yeah, I was going to say I thought you were up in Queensland. Yeah, but, I was. Uh... Scooted back over now on the good side of the yeah. planet, on the good side of the okay. Australia. Freedom, yeah, like bastard, yeah. And Max, where are you at? Uh, up in Darwin, so yeah. Oh, we're lo- lovely. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking eyeballs are swimming in the fucking humidity, but <laughs> is that right? Yeah, well, it does get pretty tough. But again, another, it's a great place to be yeah. during COVID this year. Yeah, absolute freedom. Well, I don't, we'll be like, what, what COVID? So yeah, it's good. 
it's been been menacing down here in in Melbourne. It's been been tough. I've got to say, even I was starting to go a bit stir crazy at the end and get a bit of cabin fever. But um, we're we're pretty comfortable here, so we're we're not too bad. Fucking magic, mate. Um, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there and uh, we'll roll it out. Thanks, guys. Hey, keep up the great work too. I uh, I'm increasingly uh, tracking you what you guys are doing, and I'm, I'm getting better at social media and uh love love to marry up if there's any way i can help let me know and um same same here and if you're ever in melbourne please let us know i'll i'll take you out got, got a couple of pubs and a little club that i'm them down in you can we'll go and have some beers together and uh look forward to that no worries yeah. cheers mate thanks thanks Marth. all right take it easy guys